Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert, Experts on Expert. I'm Dax Shepard. I'm joined by Monica Padman. Hello. We have an incredible guest on today, Tess Wilkinson-Ryan, who is a University of Pennsylvania law professor and moral psychologist. She has a really cool book out right now called Foolproof, How Fear of Playing the Sucker Shapes Ourselves in the Social Order and What We Can Do About It. I love this topic. Yeah. I have a big sucker trigger. Mm -hmm. I'm a victim of this all the you time. Are. I think the person that just gave me the bid thinks I'm stupid and weak. And they're trying to play me a fool. And then I'll fight to the death over it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's a, a biased thinking that is illogical and against our better interests. Exactly. A lot of the time. I know. She tells us about it. I think everyone will relate. Yeah. Even if you aren't on your side of the scale, uh -huh. you, everyone can relate. Everyone like, has it. Yes. And in fact, she talks about how the sucker narrative weaves its way into almost any issue we have. Political, yeah. gender, exactly. race, all of it. Motherhood. Motherhood. It's ding, ding, crazy. ding. Motherhood. You have an announcement. <laughs> Monica's I'm pregnant. Not pregnant still. Still not pregnant. Um, all right. Well, please enjoy Tess Wilkinson Ryan. We are supported by Uber Eats. Spring is here, and now you can get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana, that's a yes. A nice tan, sorry, no. But a box fan, happily, yes. A day of sunshine, no. A box of fine wines, yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets, product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Okay, when did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Well, let's just say I'm a weirdo and I want to be messy and see what you're up to, like who you're hanging with. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. I knew you did that. <laughs> no, I did not do that. <laughs> I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends and then use that money any place Apple Pay is accepted. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Monica, please keep it in the chat. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. He's an armchair expert. My hair is wild this morning. I put it in a ponytail oh. last night and I woke up. Oh, yeah. And it was unruly. That will happen. You Wasn't slept expecting. You the pony? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And at some point, the pony holder came out, oh. freed itself oh, sure. from the entanglement of my hair. And then I went to take the kids to school, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I said, this isn't going to cut it. They look like a mad scientist. It looks okay. It's not great. That's why I brought this hat. <laughs> it's a just-in-case hat? Yeah, that's just uh, <laughs> Make some effort to test that she thinks I care. I should tell you, since you're growing your hair out, uh -oh. sleeping with a ponytail can cause breakage. Test, can you confirm or deny this? Is this urban legend? It's so uncomfortable that I'm impressed you could <laughs> do it at do all. It. That's very uncomfortable. Whenever my daughter, who has very long hair, goes to sleep in a ponytail, I'm like, that's going to be too uncomfortable for you. And I like tug it out of her hair. Will she ever put it in braids so that when she wakes up, curls, oh. whirl the curls? 
obviously. Yeah, Come yeah, on, yeah, yeah. that's, that's the whole you thing. Do. I'm just mourning the fact that we're kind of getting on the other side of that. She's mm. getting almost too old for Is the good nine, mom. Eight, nine? 11. Oh, because yeah. I read an article of yours, but now it must have been two years old because the children were... Eight and 13 at the time. Was it about the pandemic? It was about driving in the car and oh, then no, going that was in to the a book. soccer. Yeah, that's or, in the book. Oh, in the book. That's right. In the book. Yeah, basketball yeah, yeah. game. Yeah, at the very beginning of the pandemic. Yes. 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 Now mm. she's 11. And the boys, what, 14, 15? 15, sophomore in high school. Wow. Oh, wow. I've got You're kids who are very hard to impress at this point. You can't take out your old, like, hey, I've got a surprise for you. What if we put your hair in four braids? <laughs> no. She's going to be like, okay, mom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she offered me some makeup to take with me to come oh. out here. Oh, that was I, thoughtful. It was thoughtful. And I brought it. I was like, you know what? Fair point. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and the 15-year-old, are his shoulders broadening? Is he like turning into a man in front of you? Yeah, it's terrifying. He is six foot two. Oh he my goodness. The... Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, it's a whole different world. I was trying to tell him something about how I was going to pick him up from something. And I was like, I just don't want you walking late at night back that way. And he was like, mom, no offense, but like uh, you're in more danger in that situation than I am. And I was like, really I was like, excuse me. And they're like, oh, okay, fair. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I have better judgment though. Yeah. That's yes, true. So I've got I have street low. smarts. I've honed my street smarts. <laughs> like First in Maine, then in Philadelphia. Like many, like many law professors, I really have a good sense of that. <laughs> now, you are originally from Maine. Small town or moderate town or big town? Small town. The biggest city is Portland, Maine, which is about two hours north of Boston. So it's in southern Maine. And I grew up like 45 minutes southwest of Portland. So I was like between the ocean and the White Mountains. In some ways, a relatively unremarkable forested area. Okay. Town of how many people? I believe the answer is 4,000. That's wow. pretty small. Very. Because I'm from a small town. It was about 10,000, I think. Did you have a main street? No, just a store, your country store. A Burger King? What? No. No fast food. <laughs> no, no, no. No place you could go. You wouldn't oh, go anywhere. Okay. The only thing, there was your country store. It's literally called that, your country store. And there was a truck stop that we didn't go to. Okay. Well, for good reasons. <laughs> Back to you warning your child. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a small town, but also large land-wise. So you really didn't see people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Did you know you wanted to be a lawyer? Had you seen a movie or something? Were you like, <laughs> did you have a fantasy of what a lawyer was? Uh, and when did it start? Okay, I should also just come very clean and say that I have never been a lawyer. So my dad was a lawyer when I was really, really little. And he did not like it. No one likes it, right? I guess I'm sort of committed to thinking that some of my students have good lives uh -huh. <laughs> after they graduate from law school. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there are a lot of different law jobs sure. that can be pretty amazing and rewarding. My dad is really introverted and he had a job as a trial lawyer and I think yeah. that was an incredibly bad fit. That's stressful. You almost have to be an actor on yes. top of that. Exactly, academic. exactly. And he ultimately became a third grade teacher. Okay. Oh. So I think that he was probably not a fit for the profession in the first place. I mean, to be honest, I went to law school on like a I'm not sure what to do next whim. I was living in New York after college. I had a bunch of jobs, but I kept having these jobs where I did not want my boss's job. What was your BA in? Psychology. And I went to law school on like a whim of thinking, I don't know what to do next. It gives you a lot of options. You're gives right. you some options. Yeah. I'll do this. I got incredibly lucky. I got to law school and I looked at my professors and I was like, oh, I do want your job. Okay. Like, that's a great job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the few classes I had in college, there's something very appealing to me about law in the most generic sense it's a format for everything. Like if you desire control as I do, you know, it's a well-worded set of guidelines and ways of handling every single conceivable situation. It seems like it's a blueprint through proceeding through life. So it has the appeal or the advertisement of order. Yeah, I teach 
first year contracts. Basically, in a given year, a third of the class is stuck in my course. They don't choose it mm. and they can't unchoose it. It's required. Organic chemistry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you like you have take to take it. it to go to medical school, right? So you right. have to take contracts and you don't even get to choose who teaches it to you. So you're stuck in my class. So I get people who are super fresh into law school. It's the most incredible teaching gig in the world. They do the reading. They're right. super game. They're up for stuff. It's really fun. So they come and they think like, I'm really looking forward to this blueprint that we're going to get. And then they feel really disappointed by what I have to tell them about actually how most of the answers are. Good question. <laughs> it mm, depends. Mm -hmm. It lures you in with this notion that we have a protocol <laughs> yes. for everything, and then you find out, no, it's as nuanced as anything else, and maybe worse. Almost worse, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because usually by the time you're disputing, everyone has a pretty good set of reasons for why their view yeah. is sensible. Contracts in particular, they're literally a blueprint, right? They give you like a bunch of instructions of how to act. Yes. What you're right. supposed to do. And I have this terrible news for students that basically contracts almost always underspecify what the thing is that you need because you write the contract at time one and you think I'm all over this, I know just what's going on. And then a year later, everything's things, changed. Things yeah. have changed. Evolved. And you didn't say anything about what you would do if they didn't have any Because you don't know lumber. until you know. Things are going to pop up that the contract doesn't account for. Yeah. And then we will end up still in court with someone trying to figure out. And even if you go to court, most of the time what the court is doing is giving somebody money, not making somebody do something. Mm. That's the only real recourse. That's is, the only is, real is recourse. Yeah, okay. Right. So let's say you were going to buy a used car. And it was like a very normal used car. Just like a 2015 Toyota. Toyota. Nice. Exactly. The class. Yes, we exactly. Know. We know. 2015 Toyota and you were trying to buy it and the person who was going to sell it to you, you had made the contract and the person says, oh, actually, I've got a better offer from somebody else. I'm breaching my contract with you. It wouldn't be that hard for the court to say to the seller, like, no, you have to just sell it to her. You promise. But they don't. You just get money. You get the difference between what it would cost to buy a new car and the car you already contracted for. You introduced this in the book, which is law in and of itself is a paradigm of thinking in that when you teach it or you're learning about it, you're learning all these mechanisms in place. You'll have a theoretical dispute. Morality's never entered into it. It's not part of the equation. It's not part of the practice. When I first started research on contracts, this is when I was in graduate school, I just had the sense that most people think contracts matter morally. They think their contracts are promises. Mm -hmm. And promises have like a sacredness to them. And in law school, you really get a lot of indoctrination sort of, which is all contracts in American law schools, at least, or American legal system, all contracts are really about is money. It's just a financial instrument. I like sort of sent out this survey when I was in graduate school to say, what do you think? You do a flooring yeah. exercise, right? When I was in graduate school, someone asked my husband what my research was about. And he was like, it's about flooring and fumes from flooring. I was like, oh, what? what? <laughs> 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 well, he is not paying attention. <laughs> but yes. So it would be questions about like someone has made a contract to come and refinish the floor of your condo. And I would try to make the stakes feel as neutral as possible. Mm -hmm. So I would say, listen, this is a property that you own, but you're not living there anymore. And actually, you're only getting the floors refinished because your realtor told you, listen, with the floors refinished, we can get about $10,000 more in the asking price. Mm -hmm. And the refinishing the floors, if it's only going to cost a couple thousand dollars, it's worth it for you to Five do. Five X. Exactly. Yeah. So you say, great. So you contract with this firm who's going to refinish the floors for you. And then the firm says, oh, actually, sorry, I've got a better deal. I'm not going to make it in time. I know your open house is scheduled. Nothing I can do. And the question is, 
how much should they have to pay in damages? And also, I think one of the stipulations was felt relevant to me is no money's exchanged hands yet. Yes, that's right. Uh -huh. So that's they've right. not paid the firm. That's right. I think once money is exchanged hands, people start getting like a whole bunch of different intuitions about refunds. Yeah, I do. It's like, no, no, I already pay. You can't change your mind after I pay. Yeah. But in some weird version of it, it's like, hey, you'll do my flowers next Monday. Yes, I will. How much is it? Five grand. I agree to that. And then he calls me back two hours later. And he's like, I can't do it. I got an offer for 75 grand. In some weird way, I feel like I just lost a bidding. Weirdly, I can accept that. That might make you a little bit unusual. At one point, I really tried to convince people that they should go along with that thinking. To lead the witness a little bit. And it was not even possible. No. In fact, I tried to do it. I'm at Penn. And so the Wharton School runs an incredible behavioral lab. Mm. And so they basically can run studies. Plus, they attract a lot of Wharton students. And I was like, oh, perfect. I'm going to try to convince Wharton students who are business students to get on board with my idea that all contracts are is basically just financial instruments. And they should think about a breach as kind of you just lost the bid. And I made up a worksheet, basically trying to lead them through. And at the end of it, I was like, so is it still wrong to breach the contract? And they were all like, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Still very wrong. And mm -hmm. so I thought, okay. I mean, I think it is. If you've committed to a job or a task, two people have committed to then say, I'm not going to do that. As Ma know. Nod Sheila would say, tough titties. She would say that. She would say that. What's confusing to me is you're not out of pocket. What are they refunding? What, so what are we talking about? We're talking about pain um, and Emotional suffering, damage. Distress, <laughs> no, duress. But you don't get any of that. What you get is the benefit of the bargain. What was the profit for you going to be on this contract? Oh. oh, so you'd be arguing for $8,000. In a world in which you were going to pay $2,000. With the expectation of, of making of 10. making 10, what oh. you get is to $8,000. That's interesting. Okay, this is not what your book is about at all. Well, I mean, it sort is. Of. It is. But this is kind of it's relevant. Happening. Ish. Okay. So I have a, a situation. I own the house across the street. I'm renovating it. I bought it in, in 2020, theory. January. I've owned okay. it for three years. And I have not been able to start my renovation, mainly because it's just really hard in California permits, blah, blah, the blah. The city primarily. Yeah. Yes. But everything is signed off now by the city, except they're requiring one last piece, which is there's an easement situation. Yep. Yep. And they want to update the easement because it's 100 years old. So they just want us to all resign it. And one of the participants is refusing to do that in hopes to get Ooh. some other stuff out of this. And I have the right to this easement. There's no getting around that. But he's just like, I'm not going to sign that. He wants to redraw. He wants her to commit to no guests can park back there. Some crazy stuff. Yeah. And it has been dragging and dragging and dragging. I did have to ultimately send an email saying, I intend to be a great neighbor. I know you do too, but I feel backed against a wall at this point. And if this doesn't get resolved in the next week or so, I'm going to have to seek legal recourse. But even when I said it, I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> what am I going to get? Like, what does it mean? Definitely Bailey's going to knock on the door. But Johnny he is costing me money. Yeah, because the delay is a big deal. Yes, and I'm paying rent also. Yeah, that's a tough position too because presumably you're not in a contractual relationship with him. It's a city document. Yeah, okay. So then it's like, does he own, but he's the one slowing it's, down the, the easement process. easement is it's across weird. his property, which is yes. relevant. Yeah, so. I have an easement on his and then he then has an easement on mine, which is also weird. Like it switches over, but the part that's in contention is 
his. Yeah, no, and you have a particularly difficult thing because he basically doesn't owe you some sort of duty. You two are not sort of counterparties in an existing contract. You didn't exactly. Enter so you're anything, kind of yeah. negotiating with somebody. And negotiating over a thing that I am owed. It's crazy. Okay, this actually ties beautifully into your book. Some oh, yeah. Some of the principles are being triggered. The other man presumably doesn't want to be a fool. He doesn't want to be a sucker. He's got an opportunity of Yeah, he doesn't want to like let it go. He's let never it, yeah. loved how this easement traveled through his yard, and now he's got an opportunity to not be an idiot again yep. or not to have assumed someone else's bad choice. And then Monica, she too doesn't want to be made a fool. She doesn't want to be taken advantage of by yep. somebody. She doesn't want to be manipulated. It kind of works a little bit in concert. No, and you're kind of in a funny situation that's a little bit of a zero sum. I mean, which is almost sucker-wise the worst place to be, mm. which is where— it looks like most deals at this point make at least one of the parties feel like they've lost and the other ones is sort of Victor. hustling them or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Right. And that there's no place where everybody would feel like, oh, this is actually the right thing. You can get so far down a sort of rabbit hole that you feel like, well, if my counterparty is happy, then obviously I've been scammed. Yes, 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 yeah, yes, yes. Interesting. Okay, so we were briefly talking about you were originally pretty intrigued by the notion that this survey you were doing differed somehow in how we would think of a promise and how we would think we would feel guilty. You became interested long ago in this dichotomy and started pursuing it. Can you tell us how you entered into that? I was in graduate school after law school and basically was trying to figure out how to get a PhD in psychology by doing this sort of experimental work. The thing I was interested in, like broadly speaking, was when do people's regular common sense moral intuitions, but up against what the actual legal rules are. I was running these studies to find out what people thought about breach of contract. And first of all, I was getting people saying, well, actually, if you breach a contract, you should have to pay $100,000 for breaching the contract. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> that seems like over the top. At the end of the survey, I'd put a little, please let us know if you have any comments or questions about the survey. And they would write instead like, I can't believe this. This is what's the matter with America today. And I was like, this is what's the matter with America today? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is a fake person yeah. who like didn't refinish some floors. That seems like a very low stakes situation to be like, real amped up about. Felt like it was really easy to get people emotionally engaged in these scenarios that I was trying to like dial down the emotional engagement as much as I possibly could. Yes. So I just started getting interested in this idea that people are super tuned in to the possibility that they are the fool. Yeah. So I was in graduate school, and so I'm also having to read papers. A lot of the stuff I was reading about was what we would call it behavioral economic studies. So it was like financial studies. Game theory type Exactly. Stuff. One of the big studies in this is called the ultimatum game. And the ultimatum game is you have two players. One player is the proposer. One player is the responder. The proposer has $10. The responder has no dollars. And the proposer is told, just offer the responder something. You can offer anything between zero and 10. If they take your offer then you guys both get to go away with that money. If they don't take your offer, you guys both get nothing. Mm -hmm. mm. I feel like it's easy to predict the outcome. Anything shy of $5, Thank the person you. would penalize the giver. Exactly. Yeah, if I'm not getting at least half, I reject. <laughs> what? Is that what happened? Oh my God, yes! even though you have $0. Exactly. Right, you, yes, yes. Really quick, and that's what's so fun about psychology yeah. and so fun about the work of many of the people we have on in love is when we find a hiccup in our thinking, when we think of ourselves as logical creatures, any logical creature would say $3 is better than $0. $1 is better than $0. Exactly. But our framing and our bias and our aversions and our loss aversions, all these little triggers make us illogical. Mm -hmm. And it's so fascinating to uncover when we act against our better interest. Yes. Exactly. So first of all, of course, the results are just what you think. People will take four 
Okay. Three, now you're getting down to like half people are saying no to three. Yeah. Two, you can forget it. Fuck off. Like, absolutely. Yes. Not. Exactly. Stick that 10 Exactly. Exactly. The exactly. Yes. There was a woman who was doing a postdoc when I was a grad student named Arthur Zhao. I think she's a psychology professor now. But she had done this study where she had let the responders send back little notes to the proposers. And the notes were incredible. They were like, you think you're better than me? <laughs> oh, sure. Right, right. Less than You know what I mean? Keeping in mind that people can't see each other. They're never going to know they were paired up. There's truly nothing personal happening. No, right. not at all. Like the idea that you think you're better than me and that's the only explanation for this is just really intense. Right. Yes. And I felt like one thing that we weren't talking about when we talked about this experiment was the idea that one of the reasons you reject the two out of 10 is because keeping it makes you feel like I'm the chump. Whereas if you refuse it, then nobody wins and no one's the sucker. Well, and also I think if you take the $2, it's not you think you're better than me. It's all of a sudden that becomes solidified. It's they're better than me. Yes. They have $8 and I have two. Whereas you have control in the other scenario because you get to exactly. decide yes or no. Exactly. I would argue that refusing that $2 is counterproductive. Yeah. What do you care? You could get a sandwich from yes. one of the carts for $2. <laughs> it's objectively against your best interest. Especially if you know if you reject it, everyone gets nothing. You are penalizing yourself. I'm immediately interested in the cultural yes. implications, right? Yes. So I forget who we had on. It was like one of these mountains of psychology. But they were telling us that those results are very predictable in the Western world. And they differ dramatically when you get into cultures where reciprocity is more mm. the currency mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. So those change. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then Russians, the psychologist was running a flag up saying, just remember when you're trying to predict what Russia is going to do in this Ukrainian dispute, know that they're one of the only groups we study in these game theories. Well, they'll actually pay to hurt somebody. Like, forget that yes. I'll take zero yes. to hurt them. They'll actually suffer to make you suffer. Yes, it can really depend on the cultural milieu. I think it also depends on the person. So my wife and I are on opposite ends of this spectrum. I'm kind of punitive. I'm going to kill anyone that tries to take advantage of me. She accepts she'll be taken advantage of, but overall she'll have a positive open arms view of the world and ultimately cumulatively she'll have ended up somewhere better so we track differently on that spectrum but i can so relate to all of these when you isolate it to the notion of being a fool i'll definitely damage myself to not be bested by somebody yes one of the personal reasons that i became interested in this set of questions is that I don't care too much. Right. Or my hackles are not up about the sucker stuff, typically. Every once in a while, of course, everyone stops and is like, okay, wait a minute, have I missed something here? When I first started writing this book, I had an agent and an editor, and I periodically Googled them to make sure I really had an agent and an editor. Sure, of you course, like, <laughs> that you weren't being swindled. Like people who I had spoken to at great length, and I was like, well, let's just check. <laughs> yeah. Now, how do we track in America relative to other countries? Because just generically thinking, I feel like we have two great engines for this bias against being the fool, which would be A, capitalism. It's innately zero sum in some cases. You know, there's all these competitive forces. It's very hierarchical. And then just America in general, I'm obsessed with all these biographies from the 1800s. And to learn about what New York City was in the 1800s, when people arrived here, it was accepted and expected that this is dog eat dog, Watch your pocket, 
Don't be outsmarted. Yeah. That's life. No one's even bothered by no, that. There's so this kind of broad acceptance that everyone's out to get you here. So be aware. And no one's lamenting that, which I found curious. So the most honest answer is that the international perspective, I don't know that much about. The part of the book where I thought, this is a really big question and I'm going to have to leave it be. It's really interesting what you're saying about the evolution of the sense of like what the marketplace is. I was recently doing work in my contracts scholarship that was a little bit about how we think about consumer protection as being kind of a gendered enterprise in the United States. So the thesis of this project, which actually came out of the book, was it seems like consumer protection efforts really ramp up when products are aimed at women. Interesting. And so I was working with this co-author and he was like, oh my gosh, I have this thing to show you, which is a book about the 18th century marketplace and the sense that there were certain marketplaces where it was not just expected, but required that everyone be fully in caveat emptor mode. It's every man for himself, like horse trading. Oh, wow. You're supposed to be trying to take the most possible advantage, trying to win. Yes. And so you're allowed to say any old thing. And the ends justify the means at all times. Exactly, yes. exactly. Yes. One like line of thought out there is that consumer protection as an idea actually came up as women entered more markets. Mm. Where, interesting. Yeah. So I thought it was pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah. They were demanding the protection. I mean, part of my argument is that it's more palatable to regulate women's access. Societally, we think that in the patriarchy, our job is still to protect women and children. They need protection. Yes. They're infants. Yes. They're frail and or like Weak. they can't no. take care of themselves. And also that it's more okay to limit their choices. Because, you know, any kind of regulation is a slight reduction of your choices, which as a person who's basically pro-consumer protection, it's fine by me. But I get the argument that it's limiting of your autonomy in some sense. Yeah, if I want to buy bathtub gin, fuck you, government. I'll take the risk. Exactly. I know it. I'm smart enough. So I think that there's like a swaggering male marketplace ideal. Yes. And then there's something different once when you have women and children involved. Mm. Yes. I was teaching this course on consumer law last year and I made the students read a case about a facial cream. It was the 1940s and the facial cream was called Rejuvenescence. Ooh. <laughs> right? It's very so, good. It does sound fancy, right? <laughs> yeah. The FTC said you can't name it Rejuvenescence anymore because women are going to think that they're literally going to have their skin getting younger. And the opinion was wild because it was like, what are you going to do about these women? They're listening to the radio. They're going to believe who knows what. <laughs> their head's full of nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was exactly that. Whereas that is not what it sounds like when they talk about tractors. Right. Right, which are also making bullshit promises. We read these cases as a pair. Some farmers had complained that when some brand of tractor, when you opened the fuel cap, if the tractor was hot, the fuel would geyser out. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's bad because of the danger of hot fuel in your face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, yeah. I'm not trying to be overly paternalistic yeah, yeah. here, okay? But um, it's not ideal. And the court was like, I mean, what are you going to do? These guys know what they're getting into. They know how to oh, deal with their tractors. God. Therefore, sure. they're not going to stick the label on the thing that says, like, hot. <laughs> right, hot fumes, hot explosive. Fuel. <laughs> Explosive fuel. But we have to change the name of a face cream. So women don't expect yes. a new younger face. A new face. face. Uh, yes, I think it became revanescence. Like they just lost the... Oh, no, that's way worse. Oh. Yes. I think it would be really fun just to go over how ubiquitous this kind of thought is. Even sayings we have, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. The Trojan horse. This is like a historical. I know. We remember it because people were duped. They were made a fool. Hiding inside the gift. Yes. There's an added layer of maybe vanity. The vanity part adds a real layer of shame. shame. When I get the sense like, oh my gosh, did I sign up for something because I felt flattered? And then 
saw that the whole thing was a sham and I feel so bad. Like, yeah. 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 It feels so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. Yeah. When someone preys on your vanity and exactly. then succeeds in duping you. Well, because exactly. it's so vulnerable. It's like you've I bought know. in I know. to feeling good <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> and then reason. you're like, not only don't I feel good, I feel extra bad. Well, like you've made a cardinal sin. Yeah. You've succumbed to some inflated sense of self. Exactly. So much of this, and it's interesting... I was thinking of a parallel. It's like, A, we're all so susceptible to this. Like, do you let someone in in traffic? Is that being kind or are you being taken advantage of? Yes. You know, it's so common and we victim blame in this category more I than know. we ever would. I know. It's interesting because if someone overpowers you physically yep. and takes your shit, you're a victim. We want the death penalty for that person. We're very punitive. If someone has outfoxed you intellectually, that's on you. Although- intellectual variants are as genetic as the physical ones that would have put the other person at risk. If someone preys on your emotions, or they emotionally outwit you, that's on you. It's just a curious distinction that there are ways that we could get overpowered that we accept and others ones we blame you. It's a hard question to ask. Like, what do you do about the case of this person who's been a fool? So one of the cases I like to sort of turn over, and I talk about a little bit in the book, about the case of this woman who ended up buying like 30,000 hours of dance lessons that she couldn't possibly use. So that's too many hours of dance lessons. Yeah. Like, if you do, even you if you're really, really, really into dancing, yeah. that's too much. That's yeah. way too... It's 40 hours in a week. Let's say it was 40,000. Yeah, right, okay, great. So, so that's, it's 1,000 so weeks of dance, and there's 52 yeah. weeks If she did it full time. Yeah, so no vacation, eight hours a day. Yeah, it's years and years of dancing eight yeah, hours a day. Yeah, and I think that the cost of buying those lessons was over $200,000 in today's money. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I have to know what happened. Well, the court was like, what am I going to do with this case? Yeah. <laughs> because Mrs. Vokes said, all I'm asking is for you to just undo this contract. I'm not trying to ask you for a refund for the lessons I took. I'm asking to undo the contract for all these other lessons because she'd basically bought these lessons the way you would buy like airline miles to get the next status up. And she said, they have lied to me. And they said, what did they lie about? And then she said, they lied that I was good at dancing. Oh, and the no. court was like, oh, no. Like, if I am selling my house and someone says, is this a fun neighborhood? And I'm like, it's super fun. And then wow. they move in. And I thought you said it was fun. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a middle-aged mom. I, I love think it's fun to me. It's subjective. Yes. What did you think it was going to be, right? Okay, so the court basically said her claim can survive a motion to dismiss. So they said there's something there. The court was incredibly mean about it. They insulted her just for pages in ways that are really deeply sexist. He was talking to his wife who he was mad at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he was projecting. like, oh, he's by too many exactly. candles. He's like, exactly. <laughs> so this question about what to think of her as a victim, obviously the thing you want to say is, what were you thinking? Stop buying all these lessons. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever else is true, why would they have seemed trustworthy to you? It's really tricky because we need a certain level of personal accountability or yes, we can't really have anything. Right. Then no one can enter into any contract because everyone's so stupid and fallible. And then where do you draw the line? Also, like, let's say I have a car I want to sell and market value of that car is $10,000, but I somehow ask 15, the guy comes over and I sell it in a manner. Yes. You know, does that guy drive away and find out market value was 10 and have a right again? You know, Absolutely We would not. say no. No, no way. Right. No way. I'm convincing you, you might be able to use 40,000 hours of dance. 
That's so bad. Whoever <laughs> let her do that. That guy got a bonus and a trip to Daytona Beach or something. It was definitely some guy. But like, like, Mark, come up, Mark. Mark sold 40,000 hours. It's impossible. Everyone clapped. Yeah, no, Mr. Like, Davenport. morally, that is so fucked. Yeah. Maybe I not mean, legally wrong, but morally it's so well, wrong. So the argument that I try to make in class, that I try to make a little bit in the book, is you can make your judgments about the victim here. But don't forget about your judgments about the yeah. guy. There's this instinctive pull to want to explain away harm. She agreed to this. She shouldn't be such a sucker. But in fact, there was no question that they were going way out of their way to mislead this person, to have her transfer money to them, that there was no way was linked to something good out there in the world. Yeah. The implicit argument of the book is that you get so nervous about the idea that people should not be suckers or being a sucker is something sort of so embarrassing or shameful that it means that you don't focus your attention on the actual bad behavior. Who's doing the exploiting here? It's so parallel to, like, how were you dressed? How drunk were exactly, you? And not exactly. Like, oh, no, no, the dude. You're not the problem. The dude's the problem. Exactly. No, it's yeah. this, like, victim blaming. And especially when someone has explicitly consented to a piece of the deal, she did buy the lessons. Then it's like, yeah, this problem can go away yes. for us because there's consent involved. Do you take a minute to, I guess, inquire on the causality psychologically? Because as I hear all this, what I think to me would be the foundation of this is humans are fearful. The world's a scary place. There are going to be things that you can't control, but you had better be on top of the things you can control. Mm. If you're not that way, I'm scared for you. It's almost how we raise kids. Yeah, it's like yeah. your kid gets hurt the yes. same way a third time. And you as a parent, me as a parent, I right. won't speak for anyone yes. else. When they come in hurt, my first reaction is to go, what did I tell you about I know. blank? No, I right? know, I know. Because I don't want you to suffer. Keep hurting yourself. And I know the solution to this suffering is yeah. you accepting you can't walk on the eve of the roof. There yeah. is something sweet under it. No, Bizarrely, I know. which I know. is like, these are the things we can control for. Please do. Yeah. You can't fuck this up. I remember when my kids were little being like, why would you just keep biting that chalk? Like it didn't taste good the first seven times, those big chalks that you write with. <laughs> sure, I was sure like, does. why isn't this like self-deterrent? So <laughs> what you're describing is sort of the core account of this phenomenon. And I want to tweak the premise and say, of course you think you have control about whether or not you're going to get taken advantage of, but it's actually just not true. Yeah, We're all swimming in a sea of Maybe it's a grift. Maybe it's a hustle. It's a percentage of benefit and cost. Some of them are real stark. Like, yeah. oh, that was 90% benefit, 10% cost. Some are like 50-50. Exactly. Also, think about the way that you could recharacterize your core, most important relationships as having an advantage-taking part of them. You know what I mean? Think about the life of a marriage or the life of a parent where you trade back and forth who's doing what. Luckily, we often don't resort to sort of that like stark sucker framing uh -huh. in these parts of our lives. The ones where you trust somebody or you know you're in it for the long haul. And so like, what does it really matter? Or I'd argue you've rightly or wrongly determined the person is good and is going to fuck up and make yeah. mistakes and harm you, but you have a verdict on them. I want it no matter what the thing is that happens next, yes. right? The other place besides aphorisms that suckers come up is actually is in like love songs. Fools rush in. Yeah, oh Suspicious yeah. minds. I don't know why I'm only doing Elvis right now, but sucker for you. Yeah, that's the song. Um, yeah. yeah, that one's, yes. Yeah. I had a lot of carpool in the year that came out. And it's a place where people are like, no, I get it. This is good in this context. Yes. Right? If you were super vigilant all the time about the sucker th stuff, 
you just couldn't get through your day. Well, you run into this. Oh, nonstop. Yeah. Well, I tell and you, it's like one of my biggest triggers. It happens all the time with this housing project. Well, right? we've been building a house that is the, for yes. four years okay. and you're regularly presented a bid. I can afford the bid, but I determined, oh, they think I'm a fucking actor who didn't live in Detroit and wasn't a roofer and I don't know shit. It gets real personal real yeah. quick. When I yeah. determine that yeah. a bid is 2X what it should be, I'm personally yeah. insulted. Yeah. And my male, you think I'm weak. You think I'm not masculine that you could pull this over on me. I'm so susceptible. And I have to walk through that for like four days before I get to the reality of, do I want this thing? Can I afford it? Do I care? Yes, which is a great place to get to though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you give a great example in the book. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by BetterHelp. It feels like a lot has happened this year. It's barely even summer. We went to India for Bye George. We sure did. Lots to process already. Yeah, but even with so much going on, it's important to slow down. Take a minute to reflect on yourself and make adjustments. And if you need a little help with that, I can't recommend therapy enough. We are both in therapy. We are. We proselytize all the time. Talk about it every day. Couldn't function without it. If you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. All you have to do to get started is fill out a brief questionnaire. Plus, you can switch therapists whenever for no additional charge. So take a moment for yourself. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Dax. Okay, when did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Well, let's just say I'm a weirdo and I want to be messy and see what you're up to, like who you're hanging with. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. I knew you did that. <laughs> no, I did not do that. <laughs> I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends and then use that money any place Apple Pay is accepted. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Monica, please keep it in the chat. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, terms apply. We are supported by Sleep Number. Oh, mattresses can be a pretty big purchase. It's kind of like a home. You and your partner have to shop around for one that you'll both love, that's comfortable and suited to your preferences. Well, I'm about to make your lives a whole lot easier. Instead of hopping around from store to store, just check out Sleep Number Smart Beds. They're designed for you and your partner's ever-evolving sleep needs. When you see it, you'll know it's the one. I mean, this just changed the lives of my bride and I. The fact that we didn't have to compromise on the firmness of the mattress and the fact that it can evolve as we evolve is incredible. Sleep Number is great because it's all about what you need. You can adjust the firmness to your ideal settings on each side, perfect for couples. The smart beds respond and adjust to your movements throughout the night to help you sleep better. My Sleep Number is an 85. Whether you need something with more support or something to help quiet the snores, Sleep Number has you covered. So sleep better together with a Sleep Number smart bed. It's the only bed that lets you make each side firmer or softer whenever you like your Sleep Number setting. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So my sister lives in Vermont and she is an oncologist. She's also super athletic and she and her husband are both super into bike riding. They had gone out with friends 
on like a long ride and they had glided into a town where there was a country store. And Vermont can kind of be one thing or the other. Vermont can either feel super rural and relatively country, yeah. or it can feel like New Yorkers mm. who are visiting there. Yeah, servicing yes. these tourists. Right. So she yeah. had gone to get Gatorade. Biking is super hot. And, you know, she was riding people who bike like for a living. Right. And, and she was like, she was like, okay. And so she said she got to the store and the store was selling Gatorade. And she was like, and the Gatorade was so expensive. I thought to myself, I'm not going to pay $6 for uh, Gatorade. Mm-hmm. What do I look like? Yes, I'm a mark. Exactly. And she was like getting lightheaded yeah. and she stopped herself and she claims to have thought of me and was like, what am I doing? This Gatorade is worth $100 to me right now. Yeah. I would sell them the bike (laughs) in return for this Gatorade. And so what am I doing? So she drinks the Gatorade and goes Uh, home. It's so funny though. Yeah, you get caught in the, am I paying 3X what I should and I'm a fool and a mark and these people have won. They know they can prey on me. Or... $6 $6 is a fucking bargain because exactly. they could have got me for 100 Exactly. Is I would it, have done anything. Yeah, the principle. We get so hung up the on principle. the quote, the principle. And it's wild to think about biking away thirsty and having that vindicate like some, out. some important principle. Right. We're talking kind of personal, tiny examples. Yeah. And I think everyone will relate to these little events in their life. They scale up, unfortunately, and they have some real huge societal implications. One that I think is worth setting up is how we frame differently when we are duped by high status people and when we're duped by low status people. I think this is fascinating. That wouldn't have even occurred to me. You give a great example of Bezos. Yeah. Exponential growth for him in COVID. And you go, he's a genius. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, when you find out someone's selling toilet paper out of their fucking truck for 3x the cost of the toilet paper, you're like, they need to put that fucker in prison. Price gouging. That's a very bizarre principle that we applaud one person from profiting greatly on a tragedy and yet the other guy on the side of the road who's trying to profit from it is a piece of shit. And if anything, it should definitely be swapped. Part of the thing I'm arguing about these sucker dynamics is that if you interrogated your response a bit, I'm not willing to stick with my first instinct because I'm like, wait, this is not actually my real value. I'm not deeply connected to this principle. Right. Or it would span across all compartments of it. That's right. I think there's two things going on for why you have this asymmetry for where you're perceiving scams and where you're not perceiving scams. One thing is con games, sucker dynamics, they are about status and power. And having one put over on you by someone who you thought was on your same level or someone who you thought you might be above, then you're like, well, I got kicked even further down the ladder. Yeah. Yeah, lowers your lowers, status. Right? It's a bigger deal. Whereas I've already kind of acclimated to Jeff Bezos. That's not such a threat to me. The other thing is that one of those things you can do something about and the other one's much harder to do something about. I can retaliate at the country store about how much this apple or seltzer or Gatorade is. I mean, I'm not doing anything about capitalism. Certainly it feels implacable. Yeah, and this personal shame, yeah, you say you have debased yourself and cooperated in your own social demotion. Yeah, Mm. put the kick me sound in your own back. I think Paul Bloom talks about betrayal bias. Yes, yes. And I feel like that's in the mix yeah. here. When it's like someone who's working for you, mm-hmm. that there's a betrayal. There was this contract, unspoken right. or spoken, that you owe each other something. Yeah, that's right. You thought you had one kind of a deal and now it's been betrayed. And this is where I am on the soapbox nonstop. Status sounds absolutely superficial. Till you remember we're a social primate and status was existence. Status was access to food, access to mates, access to everything. We are so hardwired. It is so life or death. 
It's not imagined. It's in us. All social animals have this. Yep. So it's not trivial nope. when you feel your status being lowered. It's existential. I completely agree. And it's really underappreciated, the power of it. I think in part, it's so embarrassing to talk about and take seriously. Well, no like, one say, I want to be high exactly. status. Exactly. Like, what kind gross. of a jerk do I sound like if I'm like, yeah. well, my goal is just to be high status here. Right. Right? That sounds terrible. Yeah. Or to be explicit about my view of the social hierarchy in any situation, it would be horrifying. On the other hand, if you're unwilling to be forthright about what the status stakes mean to yourself or to the culture, then it makes it very hard to talk about what's going on with these sucker threats. What this person is doing is threatening your status. And that's why you're overreacting. Yes. And then, of course, they would get so defensive. I'm not, that's not like I think I'm fucking better. That would be its own trigger. You've got to be able to say what the thing is. I know. I have that great frustration about this. There are vestigial evolutionary components of humans we're not ashamed of. We know we were designed to eat as much as humanly possible when we found food because it was so scarce. And so we are pretty comfortable with the notion like, oh, yeah, our nature is to want to eat way more food than we should. We accept that. No one has shame about that. Or maybe your body type ultimately. Sure, sure, but, but, but we yeah, recognize no. the, our yeah. evolution's working against us. It's not the same ubiquitous acceptance that, no, our drive for status is survival and it's okay it's not that you should indulge it, but you have to first acknowledge, oh, right, I'm designed to eat more than I need to. I got to be aware of that at all times. Similarly, I'm evolved to really pay attention to my status and think there are life and death consequences yep. based on it. When in fact, this modern society, there are not. That's right. And we don't think about all the minor cues that we're always responding to that basically are implicating status all the time. Yeah, you point out, you will know in a room whether or not someone's going to remember your name pretty quickly. That's easy to assess for anyone. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that person's not going to remember. Man. That person will. <laughs> oh, interesting. Or whether I will have to beg that person for their attention or if that person will be begging me for my attention. That's just felt. You can just figure it out really quick. I mean, the same way my kids can in like a middle school cafeteria. You'll hear that a lot, most highlighted with celebrity. Like if somebody says, oh my God, I met. Dax, and he was so nice because he remembered my name. And it's like, there's 400,000 other people you've met who know your name and remember it, but you think because yeah. he's, quote, yeah. higher yeah, yeah, status yeah, 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 yeah. that that means more. The flip side is, oh, that guy's so self-involved and thinks he's hot shit. He doesn't even know my name. It's like, well... Nor Nobody did the does. eight other people I was with knew your name, but you're not drawing a character conclusion based on that. Yes. Okay, so how does this materialize in our society? One of the ways that we kind of box groups of people in is by subjecting them to a bunch of stereotypes that have to do with suckers and schemers. One of the signs that a group is subject to a set of stereotypes and prejudices is that there's very little daylight for them between being condescended to as poor suckers or retaliated against as dangerous schemers, line jumpers. Uh-huh. In probably the most fraught chapter of the book, I'm trying to basically identify this throughout a series of racial and ethnic stereotypes and to say, look, these things are not unfamiliar and trying the best I can not to just repeat vicious garbage, but to try to say you should see what the goal is of this vicious garbage. The goal is to have it be that you're either like dismissed or patronized as dupes, or that you deserve, for some reason, some retaliatory surveillance or something because you're a threat. And I think that this also has 
real implications for how we think about what sexism means in the American cultural conversation. One of the things that first made me start thinking about suckers in terms of these broader cultural patterns was actually just pondering the expression that so-and-so doesn't suffer fools gladly. I was thinking about this at work one day because someone had said it of somebody else. And that was definitely a compliment. Like maybe kind of a hard ass. Like I heard they're bristly only to people exactly. that deserve it. Exactly. I think at the time I was doing some obnoxious administrative work and I was like, must be nice <laughs> not to have to suffer fools mm. gladly. Whereas I am sitting in this dumb chair <laughs> suffering, <laughs> suffering fools, fools, a lot of fools with a smile on my face. This particular thing feels pretty gendered. It feels to me like I've got a job here and at least part of my job is to smile and nod. I give the example in the book of a situation where I was at a job interview and the interviewer introduced himself to me as Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, okay. What do I do now? I couldn't tell what the joke was. It's not that this is a thing that was particularly targeted at me. It was just that I really understood my job in a way that felt to me like a particular thing that we often ask of women and girls, frankly. Like, just go ahead, just nod along. Do you think the pain of being a fool is equal across genders? Or do you think one gender is taking it worse than others? I feel like the male pride yeah. and the embarrassment and male's biggest yes. fear is to be embarrassed and women is to be killed by a man. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's the Margaret Atwood quote. Like, I think men kill over being embarrassed or yes. made a fool. In terms of the subjective pain at the individual level, I think that you are right. It's just more of a norm violation for men. And maybe more of a status demotion Exactly, that's men. right, yeah, that's you right. Can no be the I was leader. already living down here. But also, mm -hmm. if you're a very ambitious woman who is trying to climb up on a ladder, you're very susceptible. It's a lot because your eyes are so wide open to this exact thing. Like, well, if I get taken advantage of, they're going to think I'm a weak woman. So I really have to be on top of my game. Which creates this absolutely impassable tightrope because you can't go on the other side either. You can't be like, great, what I'm going to do is just start being like, listen, everybody, we're going my way. What a female presidential candidate has to overcome is I don't think there's broad stereotypical fear that the women won't be good administrators of the government. I think it's definitely the fear that they will be duped by other leaders, oh, specifically militarily. Well, shit, what happens when a guy like Putin starts yeah, flexing to yeah. Hillary Clinton. How will right. she have the bravado to but go then, dick to dick with this guy if she doesn't have a dick? So then she swings the other way and is very on top of it and is so extra, you won't take advantage of me, that, that then triggers, she's unlikable. Yeah, exactly. It triggers males' yes. uh, inadequacy. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, it's like you, so hard. Yeah, this is this sort of double bind situation. There's this research paper that's called something like what men and women should be, shouldn't be, have to be, don't have to be. And it's this really interesting taxonomy of using all this survey data, not just sort of the basic women are supposed to be X and men are supposed to be Y, like women are supposed to be cheerful, nurturing, attractive, and men are supposed to be rational. But actually it's a whole bunch of intensified and relaxed prescriptions and proscriptions where the idea is like, look, you don't really want anybody to be domineering. Like that's a bad adjective for anybody, but women really can't be that. And it's more like, okay, if men are sometimes we accept that. It. Exactly. No one's supposed to be gullible. Like, that's not a thing anyone's aspiring to. <laughs> but it's way more okay yeah. for women to be gullible than it is okay for men to be gullible. And I came back to this Mrs. Vokes who bought all the dance lessons example when I was thinking this because it was this exact thing where on the one hand, she's made terrible choices. On the other hand, there is a certain like, oh, ladies, 
What are they going to do? Do we really have to force her to be more assertive in her negotiations? Maybe not. Maybe she's going to get this consumer protective attitude from the court because of this thing. It's a little bit of a tough spot to be in because I do think that there's another side of the coin. If you start to push back and say, you know, I'm actually going to sort of make demands for my rights, that then there's an accusation that actually what you're doing is trying to exploit everybody else. Increase ah. your rights at the expense of yes. mine. At the expense of mine, Duke exactly. Me, fool me, yeah, zero sum. Exactly. You know, though, as you go round and round in this kind of debate, I do think potentially something bigger is missing, which is the current model would either expect women to act more male, generically speaking, because the system is a patriarchy and that's how in its negotiations and this is how it works so women have to now either act more male or men have to act more female as opposed to maybe challenging the much bigger paradigm of you'll lose if you behave this way that the ultimate cumulative outcome will be yes. worse that almost is more interesting to challenge in my opinion i would love that i just think we see things so gendered in this country that it's hard to separate yeah it's just a curious situation where the ask seems to be hillary clinton you're gonna have to act like donald trump when talking to kim jong-un that's how geopolitics yeah. works, as opposed to zooming out and going, well, really all we know is we know what the one version has gotten us. Yeah. And on some account, you could say quite successfully, we are the hegemonic culture. Yeah. So there's some proof to say that is what's been working. But instead of trying to make everyone everyone else or even homogenizing all approaches or character types, it almost feels like we have to more accept that the outcome might be equally as good with yeah. a whole different with approach. With a whole different paradigm. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. I think that that's for sure. for sure true. And I think that the thing that you're describing is a common conversation, definitely in psychology and law, which is that you have some descriptive account. Like the following things are well described in our culture as norm violations. But there's no reason that that ought to be the case. If I was going to actually create some like normative vision of the good, we would think, surely there's a whole bunch of other ways to think about what like a successful negotiation would look like or whatever the thing is. Yes. The system in place that determines what people make might be worth examining. My intention is to actually have that be the real takeaway of the book is that you get focused on certain kinds of exploitation that are actually relatively small scale and you want to be like, wait, the whole system is not set up right. Right. right? Yeah. It's like if you're at work and you feel like annoyed that you keep having to take somebody else's shifts and you get annoyed and so you start to get mad at them. This comes up a bit when people are debating things like parental leaves. Why do I have to work more just because you have chosen to have a child? When actually, of course, the bigger question is about like, why is it set up this way? Why can we not have a better system for, for example, making it so that people can take leave without their co-workers having to pick up the slack. And again, it goes to the earlier point you were making, which is we're more likely to feel the fool from a peer or someone lower status than us. I can't imagine the person's mad at the employer. Exactly. Who made the decision. Who made the, the decision, employer has to have yeah. a floater to or come whatever help. The thing well, is. Some solution that's not Surely pitting the two ways. employees against one another. Exactly. Not seeing your child or exactly. doing <laughs> 2x the work. The system's really great at shifting the focus At off. shifting the focus, exactly. This is my 
absolute creed occur in contracts. So if you think about contracts that you sign, not so much the ones you would negotiate for like construction, but more like the ones you're just not reading and signing every day. Click I agree all the oh, time. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. And I assume that you're not reading them. No one can. How could you? They're like financial instruments. Even the person that wrote them doesn't understand what they said. This turned out to be true. Like yeah. Actually, yeah. yes. They're just cutting and pasting from old exactly. documents. Yeah. No one knows. <laughs> We've done it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it drives me up the wall when I read opinions from courts that are about when some person who didn't click through is saying, I want to sue because you've breached maybe a privacy interest. And the company says, no, 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 you can't sue me in court. You have to sue me in arbitration. The person says, I didn't agree to that. And the company says, oh, you did agree to that. You agree when you clicked, I agree. And then the court spends all this time asking about whether or not the individual should have seen the link that was next to the place with the box they checked and how big the font was. And I'm like, these just don't seem like the relevant inquiries. The system is set up to discourage reading. And so if we could be a little bit more forthright about that, yeah. then we could talk about the broader issue, but it's not. And so now we here we are stuck arguing about these little fussy things about did you or did you not. This is just a personal grievance and it feels adjacent to that, which is we get this great thing. I don't know if it's national or in California or whatever, but that you're going to have to warn me about the cookies that are on or off. Oh, yes. Yeah. And you're like, great, breakthrough. I don't want them to sell my information. But then, of course, they construct it in a way that you're going to have to spend seven minutes no. to say, don't sell my shit. Yeah. Go to this page, save my settings. And it's like, these motherfuckers figured out how to completely <laughs> get out of the rule again. And I find myself sometimes hitting accept all because I don't have the time. I always I just thought all. about this yesterday. I was like, God, I'm just accepting all these Because cookies. no one has time. It's like, God, they fucking won, even though we got a law and they still figured out how to make it so inconvenient that it's virtually not yes. being adhered to. Yes. There's a real appeal to rules that force disclosures or choice because it feels like it gives us autonomy to the individual, but you can't actually negotiate all of the cookies. Right. Yeah. In your day-to-day -day on the internet. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think. No, it's like going back to dial-up. By the yeah. time I, I, I just want to read <laughs> one little article in my research and I've got to go through the whole thing. I do think it's really relevant to talk about how foundational this sucker phobia was to Trump's pretty much overall platform. When you think about the fact that he came in and he's talking about getting duped by NATO. Yep. We're suckers in NATO. We're paying for all this yep. and they're yep. not paying their share. We're suckers. That's triggering as fuck. The Paris climate, that was a bad deal. We were suckers. We yes. were paying inordinate yes. amounts. The Iran nuclear deal, we were suckers. Yeah. The tariffs with China, almost every message, the immigrants coming in, again, triggering this getting duped and it's such a powerful emotion. You're going to react. I mean, that's yes. literally what make America great again was. We're not great anymore. And all we're these getting other, fucked we're getting in all these deals. taken advantage of. We've become the great sucker of the world. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it was really explicit. We are the fools in this agreement. And other times I think it was more implicit. This was true, especially in immigration. Some of the messages were sort of, listen, I know what you think you're doing, Americans, is doing something compassionate, humanitarian asylum. And I'm here to tell you that you're actually being fooled. You should rethink what you understood as our role. Yeah, conflating compassion and naivete. Which, by the way, I'm susceptible. To, like, if I could take a la carte his things, there were a couple that I bought into or that maybe I still buy into, which is like, yeah, how are we going to compete with China if they're subsidizing the growth of this? If we're as a country are not subsidizing this industry, we can't compete. Okay, that's an issue. In my laissez-faire capitalist belief system, I think the competition should be equal. 
So that one got me. Now, the immigration one was more interesting. I didn't respond in that way, but there is some part of me, probably this male version, I don't know what it is, but I go, forget whether it's compassionate or not, or they're good or bad people. Mind you, the net positive is pretty objectively observable for the economy, especially we live in California. Like this country doesn't work without lots of immigrants. Let's get all that aside. If we say we don't want an uncontrolled amount of people entering, which policy creates more incentive and which decreases incentive? I think in some ways, the way that you're responding to the rhetoric is sort of optimal. In some cases, what you were describing is that he was pointing out a set of consequences of certain kinds of policies that you thought were genuinely troubling because of economic competition or because of the feasibility of running an immigration system, right? Something like right. this. Okay. And I think that that seems actually best case scenario, which is that you are thinking about actual exchanges or the actual costs and benefits of the thing and something a little bit different about more implicitly pushing the button. Well, one's emotional, exactly. one's not, yeah. That makes you feel like, oh, now I feel stupid because I had thought that this was good and now I think it's bad. I mean, the irony, it's almost poetic that he used this taking advantage of suckers. He used this verbiage and he was the one taking advantage. They were getting taken advantage of well, by but That's him. what's so powerful about this bias is even when he said, yeah, I don't pay any fucking taxes. I'd be an idiot to pay yeah, so more than the, wild, than, the, right? than the federal tax yes. code requires me to. That's so powerful. Now you're not looking at the fact that a billionaire is paying less taxes than a cashier. That on its surface, you go, whoa, something's dramatically broken. If my waitress pays more taxes than a billionaire does, everyone would agree. But when you label it as, I'd be stupid to pay more than I have to, change the fucking tax code if you're mad. Yep. It's not me you're mad at, you're mad at the tax code. It's brilliant. The difference between the scammer and the sucker is actually like paper thin because the argument is if you're not paying your taxes, you are taking advantage of everybody else, right? You're living, you're scamming, on, the, you're system. scamming the system. Mm -hmm. And then the switch is no, if I paid, I'd be a sucker. Yes. It's a quick flip of the narrative. Among other things, you can see how it puts everyone on their back foot because then everyone doesn't want to have to argue like, uh, actually, I think paying your taxes is good. The tentacles of that could like really reach out into other kinds of cooperative ventures or generosity or altruism mm -hmm. that you would think you get to give money to a cause and not feel like a sucker. Well, that you can actually see out your window when you travel around and the roads are good no. and, <laughs> and it's safe. Like you're actually <laughs> benefiting from the investment. Yeah. It's not even abstract. That's right. So there's this great hiccup, which is we're monitoring people, our status and below. We think low status people who really don't have any cultural capital to impact our lives. We must monitor them all the time. You point out too in the book, which is great. It's like, I can't tell you how many bits of footage I've seen on the news of warehouse employees. We all know the footage of the warehouse yes, employees that yes. might not be working the whole time they're there. And then maybe they're complaining about the situation inside the yes. Amazon shipping center. I'm never seen footage of a bunch of white collar lawyers on the 26th floor. No. We're not even monitoring them. No. I know. There's never a story about what those assholes are doing with their day. If you think of surveillance as making sure they're not taking advantage, right? Making sure people aren't like loafing on the company dime, quote unquote. One thing you can tell from how surveillance actually works is that the people whose loafing we appear to be most fussy about are the people who are making the lowest wages, which means, I mean, among other things, which I'm sure the employees themselves do report, 
is that it's also insulting. If you were the boss, you would not be the getting recorded. The status just gets highlighted. So my question is, why is it that we're good at kind of inoculating business against that or higher status things, yet the government's wide open for that attack. There's some great magic trick happening where we're like, we're impressed with Bezos's genius mm -hmm. for profiting greatly in COVID. We're mad at the person who got the stimulus check. We are critical of the government. The government doesn't fly under the same force field that big business does yeah. when they're somehow in some ways powerful and higher status. And maybe that's a part of the political divide. The, the right in particular seems to be most suspicious of the government. I wonder why they're not getting the cover fire. I think you're right that that's a political belief that's most often associated with the right. Although there are a bunch of things that well, the, on the left, left are also yes. concerned about. Yeah, the left thinks the FDA is on the take. Yeah. They, 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 we just yeah. have different people. Or we like think the are IRS is targeting the wrong people. Also, psychologically, we don't consider the government high status because it's ubiquitous. Like, it's something that exists. There's something about Bezos or Elon Musk or whatever where they feel special. They did something that I couldn't do. It's something, quote, rare. Well, they're winners. I don't think we perceive the government like that. It's like, that's a thing that's been going on forever that's going to keep going on. You kind of eye roll at it a little bit. I don't think we consider them. Right. How does it rear its head in motherhood? There's like a cultural bait and switch about motherhood. There's a set of cultural promises. Achieve motherhood. Get your gold star. In practice, actually, we have very little support for parents generally and for mothers in particular. So many parents, including myself, would say when I expected to have kids, the big thing I had in mind, obviously, was like this deep relationship with another human. The intrinsic rewards of having a child. It really delivers on that on that count. Yeah. In the day to day, that's true. But also at this like real existential level, if I see my kids like interacting with my parents or taking care of like their little nephew, I really feel a sense of the future is going to go on. All these values are going to live through these people. And it really feels like being part of the arc. And the solution. And it is. So I realize it like seems like a little petulant to be like, well, yeah, I got that part. But I also wanted platinum status, my credit card or whatever the thing is. But motherhood has actually quite a marketing apparatus. Right? There's a whole like Mother's Day, the sort of whole hallmark stuff about it, like super mom. Like there's all this cultural veneration for mothers. But then in practice, there's just no support. And it's also the case that at least if you trust some of the psychology, which having lived it, I sort of do, that being a mother actually kind of makes you lower status in the eyes of your peers, which is a funny thing because, of course, the promise is higher status. The pandemic, I think, raised this for a lot of people. There was this article in The New York Times. It was something like America turns to its usual backup plan, moms. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert. If you dare. We are supported by Men's Warehouse. When you wear a tailored men's warehouse outfit, it makes you feel confident, like you can do anything. Whether it's a snappy suit that makes you want to dance at a wedding like no one is watching, or a smart casual outfit that gives you the confidence to nail a job interview. Yep, you should give Men's Warehouse a shot, and here's why. Men's Warehouse is the only nationwide men's clothing store that has a tailor in every store to fit your suit, shirt, jeans, etc. to your bod. 
Men's Warehouse features clothes from the best brands in the fashion world like Vera Wang, Kenneth Cole, and Calvin Klein. Men's Warehouse isn't just suits. They have jeans, t-shirts, shoes, hats, and even underwear. The tailoring is game-changing. It really makes a huge difference in people's outfits if it's tailored to your body. You could have a cabillion dollar suit, and if it doesn't fit, it looks terrible. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's key. Men's Warehouse is everywhere with 600 plus locations nationwide, so if you need one, and you will, there's one near you. Feel like you can do anything in an outfit from Men's Warehouse. Visit your Men's Warehouse store or click or tap to shop online. We are supported by Ollie. I love Ollie. Yeah, they're delicious, aren't they? Yeah, it's kind of annoying because I want to eat more. Yeah, well, yes, that is the only downside of Ollie is you want to eat the whole jar. <laughs> now, as you all know, I have kids, and that means it's always about them. But look, I need some support too, and that's where Ollie comes in. My mom uses Ollie. She does. Yeah, and she has it out on the kitchen table so she won't forget. Oh, sure. So it's like a permanent decoration. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in the same way, my Ollie sleep aid is on the nightstand next to my bed. So it too is a permanent There you go. So this year I'm doing wellness on my own terms. And so can you with delicious vitamins and supplements from Ollie. Go to Ollie.com, O-L-L-Y.com to discover the sleep, mood, and multivitamin supplements we take every day and get 15% off your first order by using the code SPOTIFY15. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We are supported by Viator. Now, Monica, I'm going to Lisbon. uh, So exciting. And I'm going to use Viator because, you know, I can book a tuk-tuk tour of the city on Viator. Yeah, I feel like you can look up even other fun things you guys can do together. Yeah, absolutely. That is where you go to find an experience while you're traveling. Because no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in, Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. With over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Enjoy real travel reviews to get inside information from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. Plus, Viator offers 24-7 customer service so you know you'll get the support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking. Find travel experiences for you and do more with Viator. A particular trigger for me is placating. And so I think there's three really pernicious examples of this. One is mothers. You know, they are God's gift to this planet. They are sacred, all these things. No support. Everything we know about that. All the judgment. Teachers. We act like we love teachers, but we don't do one thing to actually demonstrate that. Heroes. We love calling soldiers heroes, Mm -hmm. but we're paying them nothing. It's miserable. We probably have them in a conflict that morally we probably shouldn't have them in most of the time. And so we throw them this bone of adoration without any accompanying capital. It's such horseshit. In the Mother's Mother's Day example in particular, it's gratitude, but actually not that much core respect in the ways that respect matters. Yes. And for the class of mothers, who basically say, hey, I don't want to take this exact shitty deal. The response is, what scam are you running? Are you some kind of a 
gold digger? Mm. Are you having children in order to get state benefits? Oh, you hear it all the time. Oh, yeah, she's a stay-at-home mom, but she has a housekeeper twice a week. She has an assistant. She has full-time help. That receiving help would then say you're a scammer. Yes. And I mean, you can think about all these little ways that people talk about this. She's going to like say she has to get home for the babysitter and that she'll have to leave early from work and then other people have to take over her shifts or that you might use motherhood to get access to child support or alimony type benefits. Or you might have children explicitly in order to get state benefits, yeah. which is like this really pernicious rhetoric from like the late 90s, that I think persists. Well, I did it when I was editing a movie, I said to everyone, I won't be working past six because I'm not going to miss bedtime for my kids. Yep. It wasn't the easiest thing to enact. There was certainly yep. pushback from the studio, like, no, editing goes to, you know, whatever. But I was like, that's great. I won't be here, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but the fallout from it was, I'm certain, oh, that guy's a great dad. <laughs> like, everyone I worked with, I think, like, A, they like getting off at six. Yeah. But B, I think, like, I got to leave yes. with this great feather in my cap. Oh, that's interesting. Whereas right. if I were a female and did that, it would most definitely be seen as something else. Yeah, so it would prompt some eye rolling. If you want yeah. to be with your kids, then you should have chose to be with your kids. Yes. But you can't direct a movie and be with your kids. Make a choice. You know, I was a great yes. dad. No. That, <laughs> but then that kind of goes back oh, to what you were talking about with just the whole paradigm should shift. Right. Because I see it on the other end as a single person. If somebody is taking care of their kid, it's like, well, they're taking care of their kid, so they obviously can't be on top of their email or this or this. But you aren't, so you kind of have no excuse. Yes. And you no. should be on top of it. And it's like maybe the whole thing needs to shift so that everyone can— Take off at six. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. No, overall, the narratives about motherhood are actually weaponized against women without children. Again, where you again be. what yes. scam are you running? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. why aren't yeah. you participating? Like, why can't you this? contribute to the, right. Yeah. When my kids were little, my husband could do anything. And people would be like, oh, he is so involved. <laughs> I'd be like, like, yeah, he's their dad. One of the other parents, <laughs> I heard through the grapevine that they mistook him for the babysitter. Because oh he was picking God. up every day. Uh-huh, yeah. I was like, you think that this guy who looks just like these children uh -huh. and is here every day, you think it's that unlikely wow. <laughs> that their dad yeah. would pick them up from school every day? So we've well established, we see how it's pervasive in all these different societal structures. What would be the prescriptive element to be able to, A, recognize when you're caught in yep. this bias yep. and then what your actions are to counter for that? Yeah, one is to be pretty explicit about what the actual goals are. So be pushing on that thing and reminding yourself of what the thing is. And in a lot of the dilemmas of the kinds that I'm raising in this book, my actual overarching goal is something that looks like integrity. I would like to be a person with integrity. I would like to participate in a system that acts with integrity. Oftentimes, in my case, especially as those things come closer to home, integrity is reflecting something that I think of as being close to love, especially where these kinds of things crop up as cases that are relational or that have to do with compassion for other humans. Yeah, I think implicit in integrity, I think all definitions would probably include some level of personal sacrifice for the greater good. Yeah. I'm going to do something that's yes. inconvenient. I'm going to do something where I might yes. lose a little. I'm going to do something because my overall principle has that value. I've given it that value and I can suffer along the way to adhere to that. Exactly. Even if there are things I can't control, I'm doing my part for this enterprise, right? So there's something about the integrity. And then the other thing is, is to be ruthlessly honest about what the fears are. Yeah. It's really hard for people. It's hard for me. It's terrible. If you've ever been in like a cognitive behavioral therapy setting, it's very unpleasant because the whole time you're having to just say out loud things that are true that you just deeply don't want to say out loud and you have to name the thing you're scared of, it's working when you feel incredibly uncomfortable slash crying. 
Yes, yes, <laughs> exposed. Exactly, uh, super inside exposed. Out. And you've said the real thing that's making you scared. Anyone who's in a relationship, exactly. it's like you're fighting over all these inane details. And, and the crux of it is never addressed. Yes. And once you get I'm to the afraid crux of you it, don't love me. Exactly. I'm afraid I'm not worthy of you. Exactly. In the sucker context, there's being willing to be frank about it. Like, to be honest, I think people might think I'm a sucker in this situation. And you can ask yourself, is that a big deal to me or not? Oftentimes, if I'm asking that question, like, it's already answered. Sometimes I'm like, hey, listen, in an organization, it's not good for me as a woman in this situation to like take on this role. Long term, it might Long be establishing term, precedent. Exactly. Yeah. I think this isn't good for me. Or sometimes what I'm realizing is, oh my gosh, I'm getting paid less than somebody else. I'm being exploited. In that case, the issue is I should just get paid more. I don't need to like get into a whole thing about whether I've been duped. It's helpful to realize it. I use this example all the time and I was only smart enough to do it one time in my whole career, which was I was on a TV show for six years and I entered it going, I'm not going to find out what anyone else makes. Normally, I'm good at figuring out what everyone makes. And I was like, I'm only going to question whether or not I think I'm getting enough money to come to this job. And it was the most liberating That's experience. Yeah. And yeah. certainly if I had all the data, I would have felt foolish. But if I just asked a more objective question, is this a lot of money to go say lines in front of the camera? Yeah, it's, it's, it's too this, much. This is how, and this is how I feel about my job. It's a dangerous thing to suggest for obvious reasons. One is we don't ever want to give up the battle between, say, pay equality. Between yes, exactly. the genders exactly. or races. No, exactly. So we exactly. need kind of a global view of it. But in your own personal life, if you yes. want contentment and peace, yes. you probably shouldn't be being relative to anything but your own output and what you're getting, if that's enough or not. What can be a little hard about the sucker stuff that doesn't quite come up in some of the other contexts is that it's actually sometimes hard to spot. And so my suggestion is like, you really want to name it and you almost want to name it like aggressively. Be looking out for the thing and be like, hey, wait a minute. I think the thing he's saying to me right now is you're going to look weak if you do this. You're going to look like the fool because people aren't typically saying that to you out loud, right. not being like you're such a sucker. And you think to yourself, I'm recoiling for some reason. Oh, wait, I've picked up this like little sucker insult embedded in whatever this conversation is. And now my hackles are up and I need to be able to say that's what's actually going on here. I don't want to be a part of this dynamic. That goes back to the game yep. theory thing. It's yep. like, do I want to walk yep. with $2 or yep. do I want to punish this person? Exactly. And you get really hung up. Yep. That can be your modus operandi. That's yep. fine. But ultimately, if you have a little more faith, I think if you take the contrary view, it's just helpful. And ultimately, I think you do better at the end of it all. I think that that's right. Because there are times when you're going to say, actually, it's okay with me. Compared to somebody else here, I get it. I'm kind of the loser here. Uh -huh. But given what I actually want big picture, this is good. And- even better, I take my $2 and enjoy them. There's some question here about like what's better, like not being a sucker or not feeling like a sucker. Exactly. So I basically suggest in the book, we can sort of all be technocrats of our own lives. You can try to make everything into a cost-benefit analysis and put numbers on things. You can take your own values seriously enough to like try to say, which of them am I achieving? And sometimes one of your own values is, I don't want to be the fool here. Sometimes one of your own values is, I don't want to take advantage of anybody else. The real goal in a lot of these cases is to have it be that being a sucker isn't even on the table. My kids, even my students, they can't really take advantage of me. It's not really possible. Yes. Earlier what I said, I think that's kind of what my wife somehow magically achieved in her own is that you can be big enough to be the sucker. And it really takes no hit on you because you have your esteem in all these other ways. And I do think we're never going to get people to stop being status conscious. Yep. What would be interesting is to reevaluate what should have status 
And the idea of being a big enough person to let someone low have a win would actually be the thing that would give you great status, which I think exists. I think there are examples of people that we look at that have great integrity. They've still achieved things. They didn't get the most out of the deal, but they got plenty. We do value that. And I just think it's not really terribly present in our media or anything else, these archetypes of someone who's big enough to yeah. give someone small the victory. Because that's pretty gangster. That's kind of the ultimate. If you're like confident enough to not get ensnared in that, I do think you can observe that and want that. And that can be a status source. I think that that's what people are talking about when they talk about grace. I like to hope that that's the real goal. We were interviewing Seth Rogen years ago, and I was asking him something about, in the world of how much money do you have? Not that question specifically, <laughs> but somehow at some point, he said, I, I don't fucking know. I don't know what I have. And I go, maybe the people managing your money have stolen. He goes, I, I hope they have. I've got plenty. <laughs> Yeah. The way he said, I hope they have, was like, whoa, no one would say that where I'm from in Michigan. That would immediately make you the sucker. But really, in that moment, I was like, oh, he's the most gangster. He's like, I got a ton. I don't know. People stole from me. Good for them. There was something I admired about it. Like, yeah. it actually did read to me as ultimate confidence as yeah. opposed to suckerdom or yeah. dupery. That's right. Like, what are we even doing here? My mom used to say to my sister and I, when we were, like, having, you know, I'd be like, you got her three shirts at, no. at Marshall's and you got me two shirts at Marshall's. My mom would be like, we're not keeping score. I'd be like, what? Not keeping score. Of course we're we are. What the heck? Of course we're keeping score. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but of course the goal is where you can. I mean, not everywhere. Not when I'm buying a car or whatever, but as much as possible. There's this idea in humanitarian psychotherapy. It's called unconditional positive regard. This was by a psychotherapist in the 50s who basically was like, when I go to my patient's what I'm doing is I'm being a gullible listener. My job is to take them on their own terms. Oh, wow. I'm not judging. It's not that I don't have views about some behavioral patterns. Basically, I'm trying to get on board with their project. Mm -hmm. Where are you going mm -hmm. and how can I help get you there on your own terms? And the idea was I don't take their sort of various reports of bad things that they've done as reports of them being a bad person. We all have possibility of a trajectory toward some like ideal of self-actualization. So I bring this unconditional positive regard for them as other humans on this planet with me. Right. That's beautiful. Well, your book is called Foolproof, How Fear of Playing the Sucker Shapes Ourselves and the Social Order and What We Can Do About It. I think it's such a primal, carnal emotion. I don't think anyone listening could possibly have not felt that yeah, feeling of I'm, sure. I'm an idiot. I got taken advantage of all these things. Tess, this was so fun. I really Thank enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It. This yes. is super fun. Good. Would you go so far as to say this was chill? <laughs> you don't Do have you know how many <laughs> Penn Law students and my kids are going to be listening to this and laughing as hard as they can possibly <laughs> laugh? And picturing my face, trying to answer the question, is this chill? The whole thing is going to be incredible. It's a gift you've given them, and I appreciate that. And I hope it was chill for you. It is oh, definitely scary. super fun for me. Good. Yeah, yeah. I would. I think fun is synonymous with chill. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, such a pleasure. I'm jealous of all your students. I would love to take your law classes. I am so intrigued by all that. Oh, we have such a good time. I'm attracted to the Jonathan Haidt thought experiments. I love living yeah. in the world of the philosophic. The law 
discourse is a little bit that, but they're actual cases. I know. It's incredible because students think that they're not going to like contracts. Yeah. They love it. It's much more interesting than you think because it's all these moral dilemmas yes. that yes. they get to reason through. Yeah, yes. It's very philosophical. Yeah. Well, a lot of people who go to law school are undergrad philosophy majors. It's a common one. Yep. Any major with a ton of reading seems to get there to the is a front. lot of reading in law school yes that's what i've been told i've heard anthro is a good transfer too just because the volume of reading required and papers mm. that have to be written you can come from any major and succeed in law school i do think it's hard if you come from a discipline that has more answers and then you get to law uh -huh. and you're like hey so i went ahead and applied <laughs> that equation and i got maybe yeah <laughs> you know and that's yes. i think frustrating that's my other soapbox is just people need to get a lot more comfortable with things are most often 53 percent correct yeah, exactly. i mean you're not gonna get this no. eureka moment of clarity it's kind of like no. it's just marginally a better decision the whole point of a law exam is that you have students telling you why the answer is hard which is like a really hard switch to get your head around yeah, yeah. all right tess thank you so much for coming it was a blast everyone buy foolproof <laughs> thank you all right arm thank yourself you so much exactly and now my favorite part of the show the fact check with my soulmate monica padman Are we on now? Uh, yeah, I'm ready. Okay, I'm going to start cleaning it up now. Please. We were talking while we were no. eating. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say anything I said. But we were talking while we were eating, uh -huh. and I was, loose, I was being loosey-goosey. Yeah, sometimes you— Mostly just to poke at you, of course. You're a child. This is mm -hmm. what happens. Sometimes you, you try Naughty to rein boy. it in, and then you, like, let it all out. I feel constrained by my own reins. Yeah. And then I burst out. Yeah. And then you go, Dak, stop. Yeah. It's funny, if you had a different— disposition like if you said naughty things i really then i would never it's mostly just the the fun of being able to wait what i you. say what are you talking about i'm playful no i know you are okay but the things that you yell at me about are not things you do correct right yeah if you did those i probably wouldn't even do them because they'd get no reaction i think we we're both smart enough to know i'm just trying to get a reaction yeah. i'm trying to get to, i, I want to be um sparring with you. i know you do yeah yeah I know you do, little boy. <laughs> I know my son. Yeah, you know me. Always playful. <laughs> AVP. Always, Always be, be playful. playful. Okay. I had, you know, party number three out of three on oh, right. Saturday. Uh -huh. Me we and you a, went. We had a fun, fun party. We did. It was a Spotify dinner. David Chang, old friend of the pod. Uh-huh. Cooked. It was outrageous. I can't, that's the most I've ever liked a dinner at an event. It was, generally, dinner at an event is not good. They're cooking for too many people. It can't be done. Exactly. Not in this case. It was delicious. Those fucking shishito. Oof. Fried uh, shishitos. The, yeah, tempura shishitos. They were delicious. I mean, everything was amazing. And it was really now, nice what to was see that, him. What was I eating that was smothered in honey? It felt like a cheese spread. I, that was the best I thing I feel like I've it was maybe a lobna. I don't know. It had a butt. I mean, it had a bunch of stuff. It was really mm. delicious. Anywho, while we were there... I was telling our friend Jordan, friend slash boss, one of our bosses. Yeah, no, he's awesome. He's the best. I was telling him about someone we're going to have on who both he and I really like okay. a lot. It's a chef, and this all basically brought us around to a conversation about reply all and bon appetit. Okay. Now, I knew vaguely about this, but I didn't know that much. But then after him and I talked, I did a deep dive yesterday on the whole thing, which is, so it was like this scandal. 
Yeah, what was it? I vaguely heard something about Reply All, but I can't remember what it was. Okay. They did, it was, was supposed to be a four-part series on Bon Appetit's Test Kitchen. What is Bon Appetit? Oh, boy. Okay. I know the expression. Bon Appetit. No, Let's enjoy your meal. It's a very, very popular food magazine. Magazine. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Like a Condé Nast okay. magazine. And also they have a really popular YouTube channel. Uh-huh. And Bon Appetit. Yeah. A long time ago, I don't remember the actual date of this, they brought in this man, Adam Rappaport, to revamp Bon Appetit. It was like, you know, kind of stuffy and whatever. Mm. I don't know if I'm not sure, whatever. It was like an old- It needed an update. It did. Yeah. And Adam came from GQ. Oh. He didn't have a food background at all. Okay. But he came in to make it- to make gentlemen look sexy. Exactly. And so they brought him in to make it like hip, basically. Sure. Which he did. I mean, there's no getting around it. So then he hired all these people at the top and- there was zero diversity. Okay. And then people started coming out about the culture there and how it was really hard for anyone diverse to move up, to to do anything really. Anyway, then there was a whole thing where like a picture came out from a long time ago. What was the picture? He was dressed as a, I guess Puerto Rican is what they're saying. And then the comments on it were kind were weird. Okay. So anyway, he left. It all became a whole thing. Anyway, so Reply All does a story on this, on the whole culture there. And then Reply All gets canceled from that. I mean, not canceled, but the two people involved in that story yeah. got in trouble after that. Four. Because at Reply All at Gimlet, uh huh, they were like, who are you guys to be doing this story on this? We have the same thing happening here. Did that happen internally? Like people started leaking stuff or something? Was uh, it outside criticism or inside? Were people at Reply All going, wait, we have the same fucking P- I thing? I think it was internal. Okay. But then I think there was like an, a article that came out about it, but I'm sure that was from internal people coming. I guess there was some sort of union that was supposed to help diversity at Gimlet or maybe specifically at the show. I'm not sure. And those two people were against it. So then that came out. Oh, And I was, you know, it was interesting. They were allegedly against it. Sure. And I- Well, I'm just trying to prevent us from getting up. Well, no, they were against it. That's on record. Oh, okay. Which is- why and so they left they left reply all oh my gosh right okay so no one's running condi anymore <laughs> no one's running reply well all. exactly i was like all right now i think although i don't want to be presumptuous here i feel that most people who listen to us know my stance on inclusivity and diversity and not tolerating bad behavior in the workplace. Like, I I think I'm pretty clear about that. However, as all this was uncovering, I was like, this is hilarious. This is ridiculous. There are people that exclude other people, like, intentionally. They don't want to work with females. They don't want to work with anyone that's not white. I'm sure there's tons of companies that do that. Now, the luck of the draw is that you're brown. I didn't go out looking for a brown person. I wasn't trying to diversify my life. You and I are friends. This is a great thing. Yeah. You know, if it had been Amy Hansen somehow, 
that I'm friends with and started a podcast with, for someone to come in and take this whole place down because there's three white people also seems a little bonkers. Like it could have just, it's just accidental. There's no calculated. Well, I guess the thought would be if we did a show about calling out another place. Well, right. I would never do, you right. Exactly. Yeah, so that yeah. I think was the part hypocrisy. of it. Yes. Okay. Which I, I get. Also though, so there were two people who left Reply All and one was like one of the main hosts or like creators, I think. Oh boy. And then the woman who did the story and she was an Indian woman. Oh Jesus. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> like what yeah. is going on? I... And I maybe I don't know all the pieces. I'm sure I don't. I'm sure not everyone knows all the pieces to this story. But I was like, wow, can you get fired for having an opinion? That that was her opinion on the union. Like she, I guess, didn't vote for whatever this union. She didn't want them to unionize. I don't know what the details of that union were other than I do know it was going to be very beneficial for black people. Okay. That I know. Okay. So so then when people were voting against it that's that looked bad and that is bad. I would have voted for it is what I'll say. However, I don't think that necessarily you should have to leave your position and not to mention I just thought that there was some it almost felt like a parody. It almost felt like a, what's that triangle of sadness? It, like, it yeah. felt like a, a- Satire? Exactly. It felt like a satire of these people are canceled. No, now these people are canceled because they canceled these people. And now these people, like, it's a runaway train and everyone in there, I think, made mistakes. I feel like, why can't they just apologize and really do better? Mm -hmm. And that's that. Like- right. I have like conflicting thoughts in my head, of course, which is one is I think people are overreacting about cancel culture on some level. On some level, I think it's completely weaponized by people with bad intentions. Yeah. Okay. And I think a lot of people have been canceled for insane reasons. Yes. Also. I agree. Yeah. I think it's all happening, right? I think yeah. it's some spectrum. Yeah. But what is curious is what does it really mean is, that's what's curious. Yeah. I think that's worth talking about. I guess if you get fired from the New York Times, like you've been canceled to some degree if that was your outlet and you're yeah. a writer, you're not gonna start a fucking newspaper. Right. I feel blessed that if we were to piss off Spotify enough that they ended their deal with us, we'd still put out our show. Yeah. I'm grateful for that. And then ultimately America speaks. I also think that's what, another thing worth examining is like you hear canceled, so often when you hear someone's canceled, everyone I hear around is like, wait, they got canceled exactly. over what, right? No one even knows what that means. They don't know. They missed it. Yeah. Most of the time, people don't know that someone was canceled or what even that means. Yeah. And I think America ends up speaking. Yeah. You often find out, and this is my big objection, because we live in a democracy at the end of the day. And that is an ideal I actually care about. Like, mm -hmm. we've had past debates about this. I would never tip an election even if I hated my opponent. I just really... That's my religion's democracy. Mm -hmm. And you find out that a lot of this stuff is led by 0.01% of the population. And I that I hate that. That's an autocracy. That's a dictatorship. That's like a really tiny number of people controlling the world, which I don't like. Yeah. I'll give this example. No one will like it. Before I ever saw Chappelle's stand-up special, the last one, I heard 
he was going to get canceled for it, right? Mm -hmm. And then I heard people were outraged about it. And then I went on to Netflix and I looked at the approval rating of the show and it was like 97% positive. Mm -hmm. So what I immediately knew was, no, 3% of people that watch this had this opinion that seems pervasive and ubiquitous in consensus. Yeah. And I'm looking at data in front of me that says, oh no, of the millions and millions of people that watched it, 97% liked this. And that's a bizarre, dangerous scenario, I think, in a democracy. Yeah, but but then I agree. I, I'm with you also on, but then what does it mean? He's still doing special. He's fine. Netflix didn't remove him. He is, but him. I'm just like, saying if you had never checked in and you're just socially moving around the world as we do and you're finding out so-and-so's canceled and so and it's just kind of word of mouth, what I'm saying is it's very misleading. You could think Chappelle was canceled or you could think that everyone hates this Chappelle stand-up. But mm -hmm. then if you see the data, you're like, no, what's in the media and what's being talked about socially is not at all representative of how everyone feels about it. I also want to put a pin or just say publicly, I didn't love his SNL monologue. Like, I think that one- I is, didn't even, I didn't hear Yeah, but that last special, I just think is interesting in what public perception was versus what the reality was. Yeah, I guess I, I brought this up because people lost their jobs. And well, that's where it was all, I was going with this is like, it just so happens that the arrival of this whole cancel phenomena is in some way, what I like is it's met at the same time with technology that allows people to not be reliant on big corporations yeah. who are afraid of losing advertisers, yes. that there's an outlet. So it's like, yeah. as disheartened as I am by some, now look, tons of these canceling things, I'm delighted. That yeah, I don't have to hear exactly. From so I just want to say like, there's tons of people that, Probably most <clears throat> of the these major ones. Yeah, I don't know what the like the numbers. Are. I, you know, I just don't know. Yeah. I just like hear my reactions constantly. Like, wait, they are when? Like, you know, I do. I mean, that's worth saying also because all of this happened around the same time, and that you know, post George Floyd, there was a huge rise in this. Uh -huh. And in 2020 in general, the pendulum had really swung. Mm -hmm. I actually think we're a little bit back mm -hmm. than we were then. Right. Well, but I guess why it irks me personally, and this is always the case. This is like what Ezra was great at pointing out with Sam in their debate. And I'm guilty of it. So I'll just say, because it's so few. But a comment that totally irked me the other day was, you know, why isn't there any diversity on Armchair Anonymous it's all white people. And First my all, response how was, know? how the fuck do you know? Yeah. Like, you're actually being more racist in your fucking patrolling of this yeah. than you even know. Like, what the You don't know what the fuck. By the way, the episode she was commenting on, we had the Filipino girl who just sounded like a hillbilly. Like, I know she thought that mm. that woman was white. And I'm like, first of all, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. And you're fucking policing us. Get yeah. off your fucking high horse. I don't know. So that irks me. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Sleeping in a ponytail. It is bad for your hair. And it can cause hair loss. Oh my gosh. Hair loss? Hair breakage? All of it. I said breakage, but this says can cause hair loss. When oh. the hair is constantly pulled, it can be damaged. Ooh. Breakage can occur when you sleep with a ponytail and hair loss may be reversed by keeping your hair down. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so... 
Opposite your muscles. You want to you want to strain your muscles, make them stronger. You could see where you'd convince yourself like, oh, if I tug on these, they're going to yeah. make the root even stronger. They're very fragile. Oh, this says never go to bed without tying. Oh, never go to bed without tying your hair up. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> oh, my God. My hunch was there wasn't actually a lot of clinical work <laughs> and study behind any of these claims. Well, there is breakage. That's real. Yeah. Um, you there's a bunch of well-funded double-blind studies on sleeping with a ponytail in? I bet. I just don't know how anyone's going to make any money on the outcome of that Well, shampoos. Hairtie.com reported that one? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, no, they would be in favor of it probably. Yeah. Yeah. Shampoo companies and stuff probably do research. Yeah. But anyway, I wouldn't if I were you. Okay, I won't. Okay. I can't promise I won't. Okay. Because I did, right? I slept the other night. You did. That was before we talked about it. Okay. This was also sort of a ding-ding name because on the last fact check, we talked about some people who came over to the house. All the claims have since been substantiated. Do you know this? <gasps> no. Yes. There's um, an update? There's lots of updates. Kristen got very on the case. Okay. She read the obituary of the gynecologist man who lived here. Okay. In the obituary, there were a whole section dedicated to the, the parties he hosted on Franklin, the people that came. Oh, my gosh. Then um, Kristen was telling her dad about it, who's in the news department. Uh-huh. And he started, he got interested because he loves Motown. Oh. And he uncovered a bunch of stuff. And it all seemingly so Checks far out. is totally checking out. Even the Michael Jackson. Well, that, I don't know how anyone would know right. where what was written. Wow. But definitely the people that were here and the amount of comments where people writing in the obituary comments love coming to the party. Parties that you, Aww, yeah, so seems conceivable. Great. I love yeah. that. But yeah, but it was in that conversation, we were talking about it being embarrassing, believing the story. Oh, sucker and then, narrative. Exactly. Yes, and it yes. circles back. Yes. All right. Why do kids eat chalk? Because hmm, it looks so crunchy. When I looked up why do kids eat chalk, well, first of all, when you type why do kids eat boogers comes up sure did you get distracted and figure that out first no i didn't Uh, i stayed on task okay but it's a symptom of an eating disorder you know pica Pica, yeah yeah. people who have pica often eat chalk yeah sure yeah there's some incredible stories about pica Pica, i I mean there's like a world i read a couple world records what do you mean like oh my god i forget the poundage (laughs) but someone with pica had to have surgery to remove I want to say it was a five-pound hairball. From no! The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no! Yeah. No! Yeah. Look up, maybe, Rob, type in Oh, world don't record. look up images. <clears throat> Not images, but world record <laughs> hair eating. Oh, God. It was very disturbing, whatever it was. I was like, oh, this person's eating many heads of hair to add up to this weight. There was a show, My Strange Addiction or something, yeah. and many of the the many of the people had pica. Oh, wow. And one gal was addicted to eating sand. She loved the texture of crunching oh sand between her teeth, which is maybe my most hated sensation. Yeah. Hair in my mouth slash sand in my mouth. Both of these things. Tied for make me miserable in a second. Oh, my, oh my God. It says it's associated with pregnancy. Well, that I think is medically, re- I think yeah. women's, start craving whatever weird nutrient they need. Right. And it gets real loud and pronounced. Yeah. And so they become really aware of it. Yeah. It says associated with pregnancy and nutritional deficiencies. Yeah. As well as OCD. Like a lot of pregnant women will just start eating um, dirt, I think. It's like their iron deficiency oh, in their yeah, body. Iron. All of a sudden they like 
dirt sounds good to them. Oh my God. Yeah. We're weird people. I know. I guess all animals eat weird stuff. I was thinking today, I was driving the kids to school today and I was stuck on the bridge above the 101 and I was just looking at the amount of stuff that the animals that oh. these monkeys made. Yeah. It's 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 so insane. What if zebras had made all this stuff? Um, like again, I know we all know we're animals, but I don't think we do. I it's know. so bizarre that one of the animals like you look at a car driving down the road and you're like, how? I know. You walk outside nature, it's dirt and some trees. Where the fuck are these cars coming from? It is crazy. And there's billions of them. Even and the buildings we can are talk. standing. Yeah, hers can't talk as hers a dog. I mean, the level of evolution is absolutely remarkable. It is. I'm sitting on this bridge and like everywhere I can see are enormous man-made structures, yeah. buildings in the highway. Where's all that cement coming from? It's everywhere. Yeah. Like, where did we find all this stuff? Where is it all? I know. I just, I don't know. It's mind-blowing. I imagine like going back with the time machine, I go grab somebody from... 2,000 years ago, mm. and I bring them to that overpass, they would just be like, what, did aliens come here? This stuff must be from outer space. Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. It's really cool. God, if you really let yourself think about it, it's a trip. Yeah. You can really spin out. I did a tailspin. I did donuts <laughs> oh, in the middle did? of the bridge. Oh, yeah, you did? Yeah, I got so that. spooked. <laughs> just so you know, chalk is considered non-toxic in small amounts, but if large amounts are eaten, it can be irritating to the stomach and cause vomiting. Ooh, I wonder how many sticks of chalk you can eat. Okay. Wait, did we find out about... Oh, uh, yeah. oh did, you, did you get any world records? <laughs> this one's got a photo. No, oh, I, we specifically we don't, yeah, like, said don't do that. I didn't search for it. in it. Okay. Um, they're calling it Rapunzel Syndrome. Ooh. And a lot of these. Ooh. A <laughs> few people have died. Oh, well, yeah, I bet it gets all tied up your organs. Yeah, it doesn't. I'm sure it doesn't. Um, um, I think... Disintegrate. Six by four inches. Uh, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Ew. That wouldn't be even a pound. I don't know. That's still big, though. Maybe you can type in largest hairball removed from a human. <laughs> 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 there was a kid. It wasn't in my class. You get to talking with friends, and, of course, everyone grew up with the kid who ate chalk. Everyone, most of my, me and my friends have known people that eat a lot of Elmer's glue. That was a popular thing oh, to okay. eat in elementary <laughs> school. And my buddy Dean told me there was a kid in his like kindergarten and when they would get in a circle to sing their songs and it was that fucking like school carpeting. You know, it's like airplane gray yes. carpeting. It's like, and you know, it would fray. Yeah. And it become this long fucking thick yarn. Ew. And he said that this kid would just eat eat the carpet oh and to the point God. where the end of the year there was like a hole in the carpet this kid had consumed all this carpet oh, and they tell him not to but they couldn't keep his eye on him he'd always get over there and unravel a bit and eat some of did it did he have <laughs> well clearly he ate carpet <laughs> well he he might have also had ocd he might have a no, lot of stuff run him through the dsm to find well, out well you know i used to eat paper no wait but this this one it formed a cast of her stomach and filled the entire stomach okay okay yeah. this is all right this is a photo of you no i used to eat paper i would tear small pieces off the corner uh -huh. and then chew it it was mainly for chewing, chewing but yeah. then sometimes i would swallow it 
Did you want to swallow it? No, but like if I was in a situation where I I needed to like be ri- get rid of it, like yeah. I would swallow. I would it. chew on like paper gum. a bit. It felt good between your molars when yeah. you roll a little ball around on your molars. I would be doing that to make spitballs. Yeah, people and, did spitballs, and then I was like, oh, I, I don't, I don't I like hate it. just chewing on this paper. Yeah. But it's got to be like a good lined paper. You can't use straw paper. It's too dissolvable. No. You need a robust paper. Thick paper. Uh, wide ruled or college mem- ruled. Yeah, I have a memory of eating a pretty big chunk of paper at some point. Yeah. Like a wad of paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, crunch, 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 crunch. Mouthful of paper. My friend Gina knew about this because she was my best friend. Uh-huh. And she thought it was gross. And she told my mom. She and, did. Yeah. And then my mom got Worried? Yeah. Well, she was just like, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> but for what reason? She never gave me a reason, so I kept one. doing it. Yeah, good. Okay, so that's chalk. That was important. We talk a little bit about game theory. And game theory's confusing. Because okay. it sounds really complex and complicated. It does. Well, and there's so many levels to it. There's like war game theory, which is so complicated. And there's these algorithms and models that they use. There's like really simple categories. So zero-sum games. I wrote a whole piece about zero-sum games. Modern game theory began with the idea of mixed strategy, equilibria, and two-person zero-sum game. And it's proof by John von Neumann. Yeah, but you learn a lot about how the brain works in these simple games because you have a really measurable outcome right away. You have less or you have more. You yeah. Have none. Yeah, but zero sum, that's the one that's worth knowing, I think, because I was making an argument that our politics have become zero sum. Uh, zero sum is chess. You can't kind of win at chess. Yeah. There's a winner, there's a loser. Yeah. Some games are not that way. You can finish second place, you can finish third place, yeah. right? There's more, yeah. more nuance a little yeah. bit. Yeah, but my point with playing zero-sum games in politics is the best chess player in the world. I forget his name, but the I think he's a Swedish kid. He loses chess matches all the time. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. The best chess player in the world loses chess matches all the time. You would never play a zero-sum game with your life. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple issues in our political sphere that are zero-sum. It's all or nothing. One side's lost or the other side's won. Yeah. And again, back to democracy. In a democracy, that's not how it should work. His name Nils? Nils Grandelis? That sounds right. Swedish chess grandmaster born in 93. Yeah, he's young, Mm. little blonde-haired kid. Baby. It was developed extensively in the 1950s by many scholars. It was explicitly applied to evolution in the 1970s, although similar developments go back at least as far as the 1930s. Game theory has been widely recognized as an important tool in many fields as of 2020 with the Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Sciences going to game theorists Paul Milgram and Robert B. Wilson. 15 game theorists have won the Economics Nobel Prize. John Maynard Smith was awarded the Crawford Prize for his application of evolutionary game theory. We should have someone on who who's uh, yeah. I would love that'd that. That'd be really good. Yeah. Okay. Oh no, my computer died. Oh. But it's okay because that was my last fact. Oh really? What beautiful timing. Yeah. That's a ding ding ding. That's a that's sim. a duck duck goose ding ding ding. <laughs> sure, duck duck goosey. <laughs> duck duck goose. Do you want to talk about your NASCAR race at all? How was it? Oh my god, it was so fun. It was so fun. I gotta say. They've really figured out how to put on a great show other than the race. 
I want to take the kids. Yeah. Right? I want to take the boys, Ace and Wilder, and Dolly and Lily. I wanted to take the kids. Lincoln oh. wanted to go. She was spirit. Did Molly and Eric go too? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Wow. So it was the three families went. And I know going in, Eric and Molly have never been to an NASCAR race. They're never going to go to one. I can't imagine Erica. That was her first mm-hmm. thought order of business. Yep. Of course, Charlie and I are ready to see some cars yeah. hot rod around in a circle. Great music, nonstop. Cypress Hill's playing all of a sudden. Nice. Wiz Khalifa was playing. Cool. The USC band played the national oh, anthem. They're, they're actually playing or just playing their music? No, no, they're there. Oh, they're yeah, they're there performing. <laughs> so it was wow, like- on Grammy night too. How weird. Yeah, true. Yeah. So there was like all this music going off. There was tons of pyrotechnics. They were shooting off fireworks uh. all the time. So the show itself was like- it was so stimulating and amusing. We had a great time. Good. Uh, yeah. Where the, and Bubba the Wallace, car? friend of the pod, yeah. um, he led for 40 of the 150 laps. Whoa. Yeah. Cool. We had a blast. Everyone loved it. I was delighted. Good. I was a little nervous for the non-race fans, but the show was great. Fun. And we were talking to our friend Morgan at NASCAR, and that's what they're doing more and more. Like They're going to do a Chicago street race this year. Which is first ever on mm. the streets, like a you know, like a Monaco style, but wow. with NASCARs. Oh, neat! And then they're it's tied to like a music festival, so there's like all this music and the race. Cool, yeah. You know, they're trying to compete with Formula One. Um, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Mm. Formula One's got to bring some bands. Up. Well, I guess they had Post Malone when I went in Miami. Oh, they, had, they did. They had Post Malone. Uh, well, that that's fun. That's it was great. a blast. It was a really good time. Our party was so fun. It was. Yes, we got to meet the legendary man at the Lakers games. Oh, there's a uh, there's a Los Angeles legend. Yeah, got the long hair. Yes, like, yes. see you know yeah. immediately. Cowboy hat. Yes. yes, he sits like he's always sat right next to Nicholson's seat. So in L.A., he's a staple. Yes, and I've been at. 100 basketball games and stared at that man and thought, what does that man do? Right. He's been sitting next to Nicholson for 40 years. He's always with like some beautiful Young woman, woman. <laughs> one-tenth of his age. Oh, Prototypical older. L.A., like right out of L.A. story. Oh, my God. Right on the nose. <laughs> Anyways, this party we went to was at his house. Yes, and it was the craziest house I've ever seen in my Incredible life. Incredible architectural yeah. masterpiece yes. in a pyramid shape with cement everywhere and glass. It was wild. It was wild. And then the I got to talk to that guy and meet him and, you know, yeah. I talked to him for a half hour. I found out everything about him. Yeah, and he was wearing a really beautiful coat. Uh, bejeweled, yeah. Uh, rhinestones, diamond encrusted, diamond encrusted, <laughs> diamond infused sports jacket slash jam, jam, jammy jammy top. <laughs> right? Was it? I don't remember. It's like a sports jacket, but also like pajamas. It was like soft and but like suede. It was suede, I think. Oh, okay, <laughs> maybe thinner. James Goldstein? Yeah, James Goldstein. Um, And then I got to pat you on the back because uh, it was hard to get there. Uh, oh. There was a whole thing with like the valet. Well, let's start with we have been given really specific instructions. If we were going to drive ourselves, which you wanted to. Yep. And the instructions were go to the house. Jordan will meet you. They'll yeah, valet your car. Yeah. Sounds seems, real easy. Seems so easy. Couldn't get to the house. Couldn't get to yeah. the house. It was all blocked Reading the down. email to somebody, they didn't give a fuck. The security guard <laughs> yeah. was pushing back on you pretty hard. Yeah, pretty and hard. And you really kept your cool. Mm. 
And I was nervous and proud. Oh, wonderful. I'm sorry my past would have made you even nervous to begin with, but that's... Well, not I gotta, nervous. I, I've like, earned that, I suppose. Well, <laughs> well, he was pushing so much that I was like, oh God, it's going to be really hard for him to not get right. annoyed. Yeah. And then you did a good job. Thank you. I was impressed. I stayed pretty calm. You did. I wonder if, oh, for being brutally honest, you know, I was at my employer's function. But you had the wherewithal to like know yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. A lot of times I'm just, I get triggered. And yeah. then it's like a power struggle with a man who's trying to fucking steer my will. Exactly. And then I don't really care what bridge I burned <laughs> down in that point. I know. Yeah, you're right. Okay, I so guess that's there's some growth. growth. Yeah. But it all worked out. We met a bunch of cool people. So fun. And it was fun. Yeah. Well, I love you. I love you. I'll see you. I'll see you tomorrow. On, on the next day. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> Thank you.